Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Director Vic Reynolds joins the program, and we'll discuss the GBI's gang task force established two years ago by Governor Brian Kemp. And Director Reynolds talks solutions to the increase in violent crimes taking place not just here in Atlanta and Georgia, but throughout the nation. Plus, a little later, Pinky Cole, founder and creator of the Slutty Vegan Eateries and now Bar Vegan, joins me. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about vegan burgers, but more importantly, why philanthropy is now among Pinky's many missions. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first this, representatives from various law enforcement agencies and departments came together yesterday afternoon. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labatt, and acting U.S. Attorney Kurt Erskine for the Northern District of Georgia all appeared together to address collective efforts in combating and prosecuting those crimes. Now, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis specifically cited the recent murder of Kathryn Janice and her dog at Piedmont Park. We believed it was important to come forward today to make sure that the public knew that we were united. And when I say we, I'm talking about the Atlanta Police Department, the Fulton County Sheriffs, the United States Attorney, and the FBI regarding this horrible murder of Catherine Jennings at Piedmont Park on July 27th. Metro Atlanta is understandably concerned. Um, The United States Attorney and myself have talked about how many calls we have gotten from the public about this case and how concerned and frightened people are. Um, We've also talked about the distraction of unnecessary rumors. But as leaders in the community who work to make all of us as safe as possible, we have heard from these people and we know that this is an important crime and that the public is watching and waiting. And we should note within the hour of this broadcast, APD issued a statement indicating a jogger in the area of the night of Janice's murder has come forward and is being cooperative. In other news, the Census Bureau is set to release redistricting data next week. Now, the data has been delayed because of COVID-19, as well as interference from then Donald Trump's administration. Now, along with state-level data on race, ethnicity, and housing, these numbers will also be used to redraw Georgia's voting districts. Here in Georgia, lawmakers and the public have been waiting to start the process of redrawing the state's voting districts. Now, state lawmakers have been holding town hall meetings, and there's been a push for another round of hearings once these maps are actually drawn. The maps uh, from the Republican majority legislature will draw, will put in place for the next 10 years, or rather will be put in place for the next 10 years. And also a special session is set to take place later this year to vote on those maps. Lawmakers have not announced when that session will happen. And finally, guess what? Tomorrow there's a baseball game. I'm not talking about the Atlanta Braves, although they were playing my Cardinals. Y'all know who I was rooting for. It's the annual Safe at Home game between members of the LEAD Atlanta Ambassador Youth Group Program and members of the Atlanta Police Department and Fulton County Sheriff's Office. Now, I always root for the youth as it takes place at new schools at Carver at their stadium. But this game is much more than bragging rights, and you'll find out why. Hanging out in the Closer Look Zoom room, joining me now, the founders of LEAD, Kelly and C.J. Stewart. Welcome to the program, both of you. Hello there, Rose. Hey. Uh, Hello. Hey, glad to have you both with us. Now, before we get to the game, the the actual game, I want to start particularly here in Atlanta because, as you both know, with our youth, and I'm going to have a a similar conversation in just a moment with Vic Reynolds from the GBI, there have been these incidents of crime and some violent crimes involving our youth. Um, CJ, I'll start with you. What do you make of this and what's been taking place probably with a little bit more than a year now? the increase 
Yeah, you know, well, I'm, I'm definitely watching it closely and just trying to, um, you know, get some, some understanding and some facts. So uh, short of having the facts, I'll just tell you, you know, how I feel. You know, there is, um, you know, African-Americans in general, but teenage African-American boys specifically are uh, strongly disenfranchised uh, in this city. Um, you know, the poverty rate is extremely high. Approximately 80% of the students in Atlanta public schools live at or below the poverty level. Mm -hmm. In a city, Atlanta, which is considered a world-class city, uh, where we're number one in income inequality. And so, you know, right now with those, uh, the, the dismal, those dismal facts, my feeling is that um, there's just a lot of, you know, teenagers that just um, feel unheard by no means uh, should they be committing crimes. But when I start to look at that, I just start to think, okay, hurting people hurt people. And mm -hmm. so there's a group of people that are just really hurting and uh, they're, they're, they're using crime as a way to win at the game of life, although they're losing. Mm. Kelly, your thoughts. Uh, thank you for having us on, Rose. I feel that I can't turn on the news without seeing, you know, something going on with our youth, specifically talking about African-American boys and just them being painted in a negative light. And the unfortunate thing about that is that that is generalized to all African-American youth. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair. In the same instance, when we turn on the television and we see police officers being involved in the incidents that have recently happened here in the city of Atlanta, where it appears that there are some officers who are making some mistakes, who are making some bad decisions, who are not thinking all the way to the spectrum of just being stupid, the same way we're looking on the news and we're seeing our kids making bad judgments, making mistakes, on down to the spectrum of just being stupid with your thinking, but we shouldn't contribute that type of behavior to all officers. So I think the issue is, is when that generalization is made that all officers are bad or all black youth are bad, that's when it gets dangerous. And so Kelly, there are a lot of optics around this, as you just pointed out. And so with you, when we talk about then solutions, and look, we know we're not gonna solve this in the next 15 minutes. But when we talk right. about solutions, often I ask people this, I don't want you to tell me what's what's happening. I want you to tell me what's not working or what's missing. Through your lens, how, where do we even begin to address this as it relates to youth? And I'm going to talk to Vic Reynolds about this in just a moment, whether it's joining gangs or making those stupid decisions, as you mentioned. Because I want to be clear, you're not saying, look, these youth should not be held accountable for their actions, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Accountability is paramount, not just for our youth, but also for the officers. You know what I'm saying? We can't live in this world without accountability. Um, we also should not generalize as well. Mm -hmm. So where do we begin then? So the first thing, and I'm glad you asked me that question, because people tend to look at life at the, at, at the point where we are now, but you don't start a book by opening it to the middle of the book and then make this decisions on the characters that are in the book. You start from the beginning. So the first thing that we do with our youth in lead is we um, do a class that we call Know Your Truth. It's the culturally relevant class that teaches them about, um, amongst other things, the history of policing. Like we have to understand the history of policing in order to understand how we got to where we are. Once you know our youth understand the education of that, they can then start understanding the environment that we're in now. Second of all, we have to start talking to each other. I know that these issues are controversial and there's a lot of emotion involved, but the people who can convene um, the two groups together um, to bring them together, and that's what we're doing to make sure that our boys and our law enforcement um, personnel understand each other from a person-to-person -person standpoint mm -hmm. of view. There has to be some relationship building there. And from there, once you have that relationship, when the officers or law enforcement members see our youth in the community, it's not that kid, you mm -hmm. know? It's the kid I played a baseball game with, and hopefully there's more benefit of the doubt that's given. 
CJ, former Major League Baseball player, although it was a Chicago Cubs, you know, I, I couldn't let this go without saying that. But you are from Atlanta. <laughs> you grew up right off Hollywood Road, right? Yep. So you know the importance of not just one, but many community and wraparound services and organizations for kids, especially in specific Atlanta neighborhoods. And I asked Kelly, I asked your wife, where does it begin? But often we talk about, okay, it takes a holistic approach. So how do you see the city of Atlanta, whether it's advocacy groups, law enforcement, how is this collaborative effort here in Atlanta? What needs to continue? What's missing? Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad that you used the word uh, collaborative. Uh, and I have a framework, a critical change construct that I use. Uh, but one of the things that makes LEAD very unique is that we scout and count it out. Black boys are struggling with grades, attendance, and behavior. So we, we, we can identify a problem, and then we have year-round programming that is the solution. I mean, our impact stats are absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the critical, tr- critical change construct that I've used, that I've had to build from the time that I was a young child, even as an adult, is everything must start with conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we got to have some convicting moments. I mean, the civil rights movement um, was a, a, a moment of conviction where... Um, uh, Dr. King and several others that were that were a part of the civil rights movement uh, convicted this 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 country. Now uh, we're not talking about feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Guilty paralyzes people, but conviction empowers people, give them responsibility and authority. Next, once you once you are convicted, then you are connected. So so people right now we are disconnected because we are we are not wanting and willing to be convicted with the truth. Uh, from conviction, there's a connection, and then now you can build a consensus. That consensus piece is so important because now we're starting to make promises. Uh, so we can't make a promise of what we're going to be able to do if we're not first convicted and connected. And then once we have a consensus, now we can collaborate. So with my critical change construct, when I'm using that with anybody, collaboration is you have something that I need, okay, and then I have something that you need. So we got to be very clear on what is it that you have, what promises are you making me, uh, and then what promises am I going to make you? And I need all your resources, so I need your phone book. That's the reason why we appreciate you, Rose, because you know when we um, are supported by you, we have your entire network. Uh, so that's that's strong collaboration, and then that leads to change. So here in this city, in this world class city, um, that is the number one city for income inequality in America. If we don't start with conviction, there will be no connection, there will be no consensus, there will be no collaboration, and there will be no change. When you and want... to CJ's point... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Kelly. I was going to say, to his point about making promises and guarantees, um, Atlanta is a city of broken promises with regards to African-Americans in this city. So, you know, there's a lot of distrust that's there, and our youth have been standing by generation after generation watching these broken promises, and it just gets to a point where... You don't believe that education is the key. Mm-hmm. You, because you've seen too many people in your family, in your neighborhood, in your inner circle who have so-called done the right things and gone to school and it still doesn't work out well for them. So I feel like that's one of the things that we are very cognizant of with LEAD is we go in telling our ambassadors, here are the promises and guarantees that we can make you. And that holds us accountable because this isn't just youth development for the sake of telling a child, oh, you're poor and distraught. You take what I give you. Mm -hmm. We make sure our ambassadors have what they need. With the ambassadors that are playing in the game tomorrow with law enforcement, and this is the seventh annual, have you all been able to look back at the other games and say, this is more than just a game, but here's what has come out of this. Someone listening will say, well, how has this baseball game, this annual baseball game, how has it been effective in your mission? And especially with law enforcement. Absolutely. We have you know, some 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 youth in the city, the same youth that are on TV that people are calling criminals because they're selling water. Uh, we are connecting our youth to Sheriff Labot. You know, not not connecting them to Sheriff Labot because they're about to be booked or put into the judicial system. Mm-hmm. We're helping them connect with him on a baseball diamond. And what that looks like is interactions that ambassadors have reported back to us 
oh, I saw officer such and such in my community and we were just chopping it up about the about the game we played, about the safe at home game we played in versus it being in an immediate adversarial, you know, um, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. It's more of, okay, I see this officer as my friend. And even from the officers, it's like, okay, now that I've had a chance to really connect with the youth through this game, when I see them out in the community, it's not like, oh, I got to be watching them in a suspicious kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's the kid I was chopping up with on a baseball diamond. And what we got to understand is we didn't get into this situation overnight. So it's not going to change overnight. What we're doing from a community standpoint is good. But there are some policy issues that have to be addressed that, you know, that's not what we do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where we come in is we come in from a community connection to make sure that our ambassadors know who the officers are and, and the officers know who our ambassadors are and helping to breed, um, you know, helping to nurture and cultivate that healthy relationship. CJ, and Rose, in addition, well, in addition to that is, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that is a fact is that the Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labot is a Frederick Douglass High School alum where he played baseball. What also is a fact is Chief Rodney Bryant, the Atlanta Police Department, is an Atlanta Public Schools alum who played baseball at Sylvan Hills High School. Mm-hmm. So both of these men are African-American men that are in these leadership uh, position, and baseball was a part of that vehicle. Um, Charles Davius Brooks uh, graduated from uh, Frederick Douglass High School last year, and right now he is on track at the age of 21 to become Atlanta Police Department officer Hmm. so ultimately the end game for me uh, with this game is having a legion of black boys that then go on to choose law enforcement now what's going to be interesting though is is when you're sitting across chief brian and patrick labat both of them are very uh competitive men yeah and they're competing for these black boys which they do uh they are they know that they're competing for these boys to become officers and deputies so that's the good news, um, and that's the part of all of this uh, that makes it sticky and relevant and worth doing. And, CJ, before we let you all go, you have a relationship with sneaker and athletic apparel maker Adidas, which has led to something pretty cool of late. You you, got, you guys got your own shoe? Is that correct? We, we have we, our own shoe, yes. Well, you know, I get a shoe. What's crazy about that is, um, you know, a lot of people may not know, but uh, Jesse Owens, uh, who won four Olympic gold medals uh, in in Germany mm-hmm. uh, when when um, Hitler was uh, the leader? Uh, Hitler totally despised the fact that Jesse Owens came over there and won those gold medals. But uh, when he won those medals, he was wearing Adidas spikes. So mm-hmm. Jesse Owens was the first athlete to ever be endorsed by a shoe brand. When Hank Aaron, um, Mr. Henry Aaron, hit home run seven fifteen to break Babe Ruth's record, mm-hmm. he was wearing Adidas shoes. And then, uh, in of course, we know in the '80s, Run DMC, sure, uh, and the impact that they that they had. So you know, even on a, on a global level, a national level, and a local level, um, Adidas has been something that has really been near and dear to my heart. And I'll just say, lastly, to that point, which makes it special, is in 1984 is when I fell in love with baseball, watching Chicago Cubs games on the Superstation, and that was the year that the Cubs won the NL East. But that's also the year that the that Adidas launched the Adidas Forum. Mm-hmm. And so our lead Atlanta Adidas Forum cleat, uh, which is so amazing, full circle, uh, is that exact shoe that launched. Um, 84 was a very inspirational time in my life. I was eight years old here in Atlanta. So this is truly amazing. All right. Well, who's going to win tomorrow? And what's really awesome about this cleat, well, well, Rose, what's really awesome about this cleat is three of our ambassadors worked alongside the Adidas baseball team to um, create and develop this cleat. So it is so Atlanta. It has uh, embossed on it um, Spaghetti Junction, the heat map (laughs) of Atlanta. It also has um, the topography map of the city. Um, There are a lot of special features on this shoe that our ambassadors were a part of creating to make it uh, an Atlanta original. So, of course, the officers have said, the folks in law enforcement have said, you know, we good. Their plan, and, and I've heard this straight from them, their plan is... All we got is three good innings, and they're going to try to score all their runs in those first three innings. So I keep telling the ambassadors, just hold out. If you can get get past the third 
hitting, they don't, they not going to have enough in the tank to finish. So that's our strategy. <laughs> All right, that game is tomorrow. I'm going to come check that out. That game is tomorrow between the lead ambassadors, the Atlanta Police Department, and Fulton County Sheriff's Office. Best of luck to the players tomorrow. CJ and Kelly Stewart, founders of LEAD, thank you all so much for taking the time. Thank you for what you're doing in the community. Our pleasure. Thank you, thank you for having us, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. Last month, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp led a press conference inside the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to share updates about the state's gang task force, as well as to address the rise in violent crime throughout Atlanta and other areas in the state. The task force was a priority for Governor Kemp and has been operating since July of 2019. Vic Reynolds was appointed the director of the GBI just a few months earlier in February of 2019, succeeding longtime director Vernon Keenan. Now, Director Reynolds has been talking about the initiatives of the task force. We wanted to know, we wanted to get an update as well, so we invite him to the program. And joining me now is Director Vic Reynolds of the GBI. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Rose. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be with you. I want to go back to that press conference from a few weeks ago because Governor Kemp said every county in Georgia had reported some type of gang activity or a gang. Governor Kemp called gangs in Georgia a crisis. How much truth is in that coming from the governor? I think it's spot on. If you will look back in the history, what actually happens in uh, our legislature in 2010, uh, some, some 11, 12 years ago, uh, basically said that the state of Georgia is in, in crisis because of a single reason on the criminal justice side, mm-hmm. and that reason being activity by criminal street gangs. And so that's what the legislature uh, told us, put it in the criminal gang statute. And so that's what we follow is what that legislature has dictated to us. Let me ask you this, Director Reynolds, at this time, how many, I guess, gang-related investigations are you all handling? You know, we've we've got our plate full, Rose. We actually started uh, uh, when I came as director in February of 19, began putting together our gang task force, first ever Mm -hmm. on a statewide level through the GBI. And in two fiscal years, which begins July 1 to June 30th, in in two fiscal years that we've been operating now, we've uh, we've actually initiated some 843 separate gang-motivated or gang-related investigations. And that's just the GBI. 843 since 2019. Yes, ma'am. Also in that press briefing, you mentioned investigations involving nearly 70 gangs or what you call subset of gangs operating in Georgia. I want our listeners to hear this. The Bloods in various subsets, the Crips in various subsets, Ghostface Gangsters, Aryan Brotherhood, MS-13 are just some of the gangs that we've seen all over the state of Georgia. And I want to be clear, you're saying there are at least 70 different gangs or subsets of some of the gangs that you just mentioned there, or they're all affiliated? No, what the answer to that question was, was how many gangs that the GBI had actually looked at. I will mm. tell you unequivocally, there are a lot more than 70 yeah. in the state of Georgia. Uh, the 70 gangs are the ones that are encompassed within those 800 and so investigations that we've done. Uh, a lot of them centering on those particular gangs, Ghostface Gangsters, for example. It's mm-hmm. an all-white gang. Uh, we, we've investigated that gang all over the state of Georgia. Uh, MS-13, various subsets of Bloods, mm-hmm. Crips, uh, Aryan Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've looked at those gangs as well. And, and, I mean, I'm not just talking the metro Atlanta area, which a lot of a lot of, of your listeners may, may think that. I'm talking all over the state. And, Director Reynolds, define how in Georgia, how you all in law enforcement define gang. Sure. Yeah, it's dictated to us by the legislature. There's there's a definition within the criminal gang 
uh, statute which says uh, a gang is defined in Georgia as three or more individuals <clears throat> who are associated in some ways. Common association ways are colors, mm-hmm. signs, symbols, graffiti, tattoos, tattoos. Mm-hmm. and and uh, the third criteria is is it has to be three or more members associated in some way committing what's defined as criminal street gang activity. Not every crime is within that definition, but a number of them are. What's interesting in Georgia is being in a gang is not a status crime. It's not against the law to be in a criminal street gang in Georgia. It's against the law when you are in a criminal street gang and you commit activity that's defined as a criminal gang activity. If you need to dissect that further for our listeners who might be saying, well, wait, wait, what do you mean? If there is a, a known gang and someone is a member of that gang, but unless they do something or participate in criminal activity, then that's obviously where the charges come in once if they've been arrested or convicted. Yeah, let me give you an example. Let's yeah. say that somebody is in Ghostface Gangsters. We know they're a validated Ghostface Gangster member, and they commit a crime. Uh, in and of itself, being a member of that gang is not against the law. Mm-hmm. So if that person perpetrates, let's say, an armed robbery, and we uh, evidence indicates to us that the defendant has committed that crime because he or she is associated or a member of the gang, is motivated by their gang involvement, then we can charge them not only with the crime they committed, the armed robbery, but also a violation of the Georgia criminal street gang statute, which is a separate, distinct felony. We can't just charge them for being mm-hmm. in the gang. That's not against the law. Mm-hmm. You have to be in the gang and commit the crime. Is this sort of similar to how federal authorities have gone after gone after mafia folks involved it's in exactly the mafia? Exactly how they've done it. It's exactly that's the whole. It's it's, it's very very similar. The RICO statute, for example, mm-hmm. is what the is the hammer for years that the feds began using in going after the mafia uh, uh, organizations up in New York, Philly, mm-hmm. Chicago, places like that. This, this, this statute is very similar to that. For our listeners not familiar with the process of how a state gang task force operates, what was that first phase? I imagine maybe it was assembling just a multi-jurisdictional group of folks because you're talking about statewide. Yeah, and what you have to remember, too, the history of the GBI is a really interesting agency in that we're not a first responder. For example, if, if tonight, uh, God forbid, you go home, Rose, and your house is burglarized. Please don't call, say that. I know. You wouldn't call the GBI. You well, I might call you now that I know how to reach <laughs> well, you. We'd make sure you got some help. But whichever jurisdiction you lived in, if you lived in the city of Atlanta, mm-hmm. the city of Marietta, where I live, then those officers would be first responders and they would come. Our role is an assisting agency. Our mm-hmm. function is to assist the folks that request us. And so that's what we did with the task force. We began putting a task force together with the assistance of our local partners. How many personnel then are we talking about here statewide? The, ga- the, the gang task force initially was set up with what we call a SAC, a special agent in charge who runs that particular standalone unit. He has two ASACs, assistant special agents in charge. There are 10 agents with the GBI, what we call special agents, assigned to that task force. We have individuals from Atlanta Police Department. Mm-hmm. They were an original partner with us. We have individuals from the Georgia National Guard Intelligence, an analyst who works with us uh, as well. And then we have two GBI intelligence analysts who are assigned to that task force, too. You all have a gang database. I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. First of all, I want to know what information is compiled, what goes into this, this gang da- database here? Well, we started out with phase one, and what we did on phase one is we developed a criteria inside the GBI that said in order to, to for us to place an individual on this database, here are 12 or 13 different criteria. You mm-hmm. have to meet at least three of those criteria to be placed in that gang database. Out of 12 to 15? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what we did initially is we reached out to our partners at the Department of Corrections and we said who keep at their own database internally inside the prison system of individuals who have been validated by their system of become, of being gang members. We said what we want to do initially is transfer that list over to our GBI statewide database if they meet our criteria. They may have met your criteria, mm-hmm. but we want to make sure they meet ours as well. Which leads me to this. How do you all 
know the difference between someone who's actually a gang member and thus not inaccurately profiling someone as a gang member? That's that's a great question. That's what we have to be extremely careful of. We have built-in safety measures in their system where, in other words, let's say that we put somebody on today, and I'll tell you about phase two that we're going to move into Mm -hmm. in a moment where we expect a number of other individuals to come into our database. But if if you go into our database and you meet the criteria established through through looking at, at, uh, at databases in, in a number of other states, what's been upheld by courts of law saying this is appropriate for a database. If we put you into that system and you're not, uh, nothing else happens, you do nothing else in the next five years that your name is resurfaces in a law mm-hmm. enforcement capacity as a gang member, you're automatically purged by that system. We will take you out of that system. We will do that. You don't have to file a motion. You don't have to request it. We will physically take it out ourselves. Because if someone is wrongly tagged, that could lead to a whole other set of problems. For the criteria, what are the top criteria that you see as really being the metric to use when you identify someone as a member of a gang, and then therefore they're going to be in this database. Yeah, we you know we look at things like convictions. Have you been convicted of a st- criminal street gang activity? Uh, we look at the, the the operation by the law enforcement agency, in other words, where they come back and say, we have verifiable proof that Vic Reynolds is uh, a member of this particular blood subset because we have photos, pictures, images mm-hmm. of Vic Reynolds doing signs, symbols, tattoos, graffiti. We have a conviction of Vic Reynolds that we uh, f- got in Cobb County, Georgia, of a criminal street gang activity. So all of those are what we look at. At, uh, uh, at the GBI, and if we, we, if we err, we err on the side of not putting you on there. If we have any questions, you don't go. So that's how we move people in in Phase 1 from DOC. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know, and I want your listeners to know, in Phase 2 that we're getting ready to start, mm-hmm. we're going to give our partners, our local partners, uh, the opportunity to start putting folks in there as well as long as they meet our criteria. We will train them. We will say, here's how you put it in, and then our folks will establish whether or not they meet the criteria. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Vic Reynolds. He's the director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and we're getting an update on the statewide gang task force that was uh, put in operation a couple years ago by Governor Brian Kemp. Director Reynolds, yes, we know that this recent spike in crime, not just here in the Atlanta area, not just in Georgia, but throughout the nation. Look, you've heard it. I've heard it. People say, well, it's about the lack of lack of effective gun laws. It's the pandemic. It's the, you know, mental stress and and health. It's it's gangs. Last month, when you addressed state lawmakers and they asked you about uh, regarding spike in crime throughout the state, here's what you said. I I will tell you, I'm I'm completely convinced that we can solve the problem of of the rising crime in this state. But 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 it's an asterisk by that, Representative Holcomb. And I think the asterisk is not the ability or the willingness of law enforcement to solve it, but the ability for cities and counties and states to have the political will to allow that to happen. Let's talk about that political will you refer to, Director Reynolds. Take that further for our listeners. Well, this is what I meant by that. Let's look at our city. I mean, I, I love the city. I work in it, and I'm in it daily, and, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the rise in violent crime. I know Sheriff Labatt. Mm-hmm. I know Chief Bryant. Mm-hmm. I know what kind of men they are. I know what kind of leaders they are. I know, and in, in, without any hesitation, Rose, I will tell you, their departments have the ability to, to go about solving this crime. Uh, you know, we stand with them as a partner. The governor has made the state patrol mm-hmm. as a partner. But the reality is crime is local, Rose. It's local. And so local folks have to deal with it. And so what, what I meant by that is you have in place in this city and in this county the, the, the type of leadership that, will, that not only want to, but can solve the problem if we them? let them. What's stopping them then? Well, I think, there's, I think, I think it boils down to whether or not the, the, the policymakers, the elected officials, in all candor, and, and pardon my bluntness, will get the hell out of the way and let them go about doing it. Well, give me an example. I mean, this is your time. Are you talking about 
judges? Are you talking about prosecutors? Are you talking about the mayor? I'm talking about all of them. I'm mm-hmm. talking about when you go to a department and you say, stand down. I don't want you to do police work in this particular well, who area. Who has said that? I don't want you. Well, let's look at the example of what just happened in the in, when we have an eight-year-old child shot at a Wendy's in a, riding in a You're car with her, with her mother, mm-hmm. Rose, riding in a car with her mother, shot as she's literally going through an area because of individuals there and the police are not are not responding to that area to clear that mess up and they need to do that was that because of a direct charge from whomever that you i mean maybe you know information i don't was that because someone said we are not going to police these areas from what we know there were folks there at that intersection with guns I don't know if they were legally, they should have had them, but there was no police presence there. So you're saying then if police had been allowed to be there, then that Sequoia Turner's murder could have been prevented? I'm saying that the police, law enforcement, their their function is to enforce the law. We need to allow them to do that. In that particular situation, I don't want to say too much because we're involved in that. We're involved mm-hmm. in that investigation. But I think those type of circumstances in your city are what we need to spend time on and solve and resolve. And, and when you have departments like APD uh, with Chief Bryant's leadership, with Fulton SO, with Sheriff Labot's leadership, I'm convinced that if we allow them to be law enforcement officers to enforce the law, that they can stop the crime. When you say enforce the law, and someone listening says, well, let, let's dissect that because you know, policing, enforcing, depending on whom you ask, you're going to get a different answer on what's effective and what's not working. When you say enforce the law, what are you talking about here? I'm talking about, let me go back just a moment. I, I, I'm convinced that regardless of who we are, regardless of where we are, regardless of, of the community we live in, the politics we may believe in, that the number one function, the number one concern that folks have in this city, in my county, in this state, in this country, is safety. They want to be safe. I also believe that government's number one function is to keep its citizens safe. The people who do that are law enforcement. And so what I mean when I, when, when I, when I sound like I'm complaining and, and, and it's not that it I'm running into a brick wall and we can't solve it. It's just I'm, I'm convinced that it's an issue that if we protect and keep our members of society safe by allowing police to say, look, you violate the law, you have to be punished for that. That ultimately is is going to land in the in the in the lap of prosecutors and judges. Sure. I know I used to be one. Yes, in Cobb County. And it was a judge as well. So that responsibility ultimately lies with them. Let's back up then to all the tentacles tied to that mm-hmm. because one says, well, why were there armed men who felt that they had to, and through their lens, who felt that they had to protect that intersection where the Wendy's was because of another incident that happened? All this was a snowball effect of the Rayshard Brooks shooting death, an officer-involved shooting death. So can you understand someone saying, well, let's look at the optics around what could have happened that might have prevented that deadly altercation to begin with, and then you don't have all these other issues which led to Sequoia Turner's killing? Of course. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are so many issues and so many peripheral matters that need to be looked at. Absolutely. But I, but I, would, I would take a little bit of perhaps a, a different tact on saying that the individuals believe they were, were, were guarding or protecting No, I'm not saying that. That's okay. what— other folks uh, yeah, have said, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying and that. And I, 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 would, I would, you know, and I would not take that position myself, but, but I do believe that, that in a nation of laws, the laws have to be enforced by the individuals we've entrusted to do that. You heard the conversation I just had with CJ and Kelly Stewart in terms of what they're trying to do in working with youth. It is not the job of the GBI to go in and, and work with youth, but do programs like that help? Because then if you can deter youth or anyone from joining a gang, that makes your job a little bit a little bit easier. Absolutely. I, I, will t- I, I firmly believe that we have a societally charged obligation. We have a moral obligation, a principled obligation to, to provide opportunities for individuals, particularly those that may not have as many opportunities as others. That cannot fall 
in and of itself on the criminal justice system. Because mm-hmm. if it does, Rose, it will not work. Mm-hmm. Look, look at where we're at. Yeah. If you, if people expect I want my child to behave and I want the criminal justice system to make them behave, that ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. By the time the GBI gets involved or APD or somebody of that nature, we're not always, but we're frequently past a point where either a a, a strong foundational family, a a uh, church, mm-hmm. an organization in that community has stepped up to have done something for that child, provided an opportunity for that child. It has to come from that private sector. In the two years that this gang task force has been in operation, and you just said you are now have over 800 investigations, do you feel like you've made some some inroads? You feel like you've gotten some dangerous folks who need to be off the street in all these communities. You feel that you all have done enough. Or you're, you're getting there. You haven't done enough, obviously, because you still got 800 mm-hmm. investigations. But you're making progress. Yes, I, I, I'm, I, I'm. And so, fair progress. I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that we've done the correct thing. We've done it legally, and and we've moved violent folks off of the off of the streets of Georgia. Not only here in the metro area, but North Georgia, Middle Georgia, South Georgia. But again, we have a lot more work to do. Mm. Vic Reynolds, director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Thank you so much for coming in and taking time answering the questions. It was a conversation. Our community our listeners wanted to have and i agree with them so thank you so much thank you rose for having me i also realize that you like sly and family stone so that's all right Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. We all know this, or at least we've heard it. If at first you don't succeed, try again. And if that first plant-based burger doesn't succeed, you keep trying until you get it right. Now, nobody ever said that. But Pinky Cole, founder and creator of the Slutty Vegan Eateries and Brand, did admit when she first appeared on the program, she talked about this. Before we sold any burgers to any customers, we made sure that we tasted everything, that it tasted good. Because if I don't like it, that's my thought process. I'm a consumer as well. So I want to like it and I want to make it good so that I know that everybody else will actually like it. Well, the Slutty Vegan brand has grown and Pinky Co. has opened Bar Vegan in Pond City Market. And she's founded the Pinky Co. Foundation, Foundation, which is doing quite a bit, including an upcoming event for area students. So let's catch up with Pinky Co. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Rose. How are you? Doing all right. You got that burger named after me yet? <laughs> it's coming. Listen, <laughs> a lot has changed I know. since the last time you and I have spoken. You know what? When you were on this program and it was right before the coronavirus was declared a pandemic, how have you been doing in all this? How How is the slugging VD, slugging, slutty vegan brand doing? <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, slutty, slutty vegan is doing amazing and you know, unfortunately, so many things have happened through a pandemic, mm-hmm. but the business has been spared because we have seen an increase year over year. Um, since then, I've opened up additional locations. So currently I have three slutty vegans and two food trucks. Mm-hmm. I've been able to open up Bar Vegan, like you said, um, which is a vegan experiential bar um, in Pond City Market, and I'm opening up three more locations this year. Um, and I just had a new baby, so a lot happened. Congratulations. <laughs> in a short amount of time, thank you. Pinky, could you even imagine all of this? Even just over a year ago when we first talked, how much is this has just exploded for you? No, you know, you know. I, this morning, I got to be honest with you, Rose. I cried, and, and it was tears of gratitude because... I never imagined my life to look like this. And I was I was talking to a friend of mine and I was talking about how before opening up Slutty Vegan, I had my dream job, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my dream life. So now I'm able to walk in my purpose and I can help people and I can give back to the community. And I'm in alignment with the vision that the universe has provided for me and I get to do what I love. So I'm just happy and overwhelmed with gratitude and I wouldn't change a thing if I had to do it all again. And you're talking about being able to give back and, and help so many with the, with, with the foundation there, you, this was so important to you. You talked about it a little bit when you were here last time and you said you wanted to make sure you could do something to help 
others. How is the Pinky Cole Foundation? How's it going? Oh, amazing. Um, since the last time we've spoken, um, we've done activations with Impossible Foods and Jermaine Dupree um, to get people excited about the past election that just happened. Um, I partnered with the Steve Harvey and Marjorie Harvey Foundation to provide um, gas for families in Atlanta. We've donated tons of coats. We've donated food. Um, we've given out scholarships. Um, since then, uh, through the foundation, I provided employees who work at Slutty Vegan with equity in the company if they work for the company for at least a year. Um, so, so many things that we've done, we've been able to, to give back. We've given out food for the whole city, uh, thanks to Chris Paul, his assistance and mm -hmm. helping us do that. Um, but we've been doing the work, right? You know, th there are organizations that talk about it and things that they need to do, but we've been doing the work. I partnered with the Department of Juvenile Justice um, to provide employment opportunities. So much stuff that we've done. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, we don't, we don't even talk about it. We just do it. And I'm just happy and excited about the work. And, and currently we're working on a, um, we've done two things just recently. Mm -hmm. uh, we've provided life insurance for black men in Atlanta. If they make $30,000 or less that they didn't have to pay for, they own the policy. They pick their own beneficiary. We don't make any money off of that. And uh, the foundation did that with uh, the Derek Hayes Foundation. He also owns Big Dave Cheesesteaks. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Bando Project, which is the most current thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing a back to school drive, which I'm excited about um, with the Bando Project. It's an entrepreneurship um, program. Um, and we're just getting school supplies for people who need them. So the foundation is thriving. The business is thriving. And I couldn't even be happier. You told me last time you were on the program, you mentioned your mom and, and the challenges that she had. And you mentioned about how that was at the core of not just starting your business and wanting to do something, but also moving forward, being able to provide resources for other people that is still with you. I know. Yes, absolutely. I love doing that, Rose. Like, I, I love helping people. Like, I love that more than money in a bank. I love that more than, like, getting a paycheck and people standing in line. Like, it brings me joy to know that I'm able to put people in position, utilizing my resources and my platform. And as long as I can continue to do that, that is what success looks like to me, right? <laughs> and, and, and that kind of success you can't pay for. It's priceless. Do you get a chance to talk to some of the students? Because I know you have this back-to-school project. Do you get a chance to talk to youth and tell your story to them? Um, juveniles. Um, and, and that is kind of my emphasis, uh, juvenile kids. And the reason why is because my father, he did um, over 20 years in prison. So although I wasn't behind bars, I know what it feels like mentally to have to deal with the backlash of, of, of being labeled as a statistic, right? Mm -hmm. So seeing that and growing up, I know that even just my testimony can be able to transform the life of somebody who may have perceived to make a wrong decision in the past, but has the opportunity to turn it around. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I talk to the kids and I talk to anybody that's going to listen, whether they're <laughs> entrepreneurs, if you're 50 years old, if you're 70 years old and you got a big dream. I'm talking to dreamers, people who really want to change their lives as long as they believe in themselves. You have always talked about lessons learned. You talked about lessons learned that that failed in terms of things that you wanted to do now that with the success of slutty vegan and now you have bar vegan are you still still learning about being a business owner oh i learn every single day yeah and i don't get it right every day rose <laughs> and it's okay right because i'm a human being first um but but i'm so happy because experience is what will take you to the next level not what you sit and learn in a classroom, right? Not what somebody can tell you or what you just read in a book, but mm -hmm. really having that day-to-day -day experience is what helped me become a better individual, a better woman, a better entrepreneur. And, and that's good, bad, and indifferent, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, I'll give you an example, and, and I want to dedicate this interview um, to a, a young man named Christian White. He was one of my employees, um, and I hired him from the Second Chance Program through the Department of Juvenile Justice. Um, and he was working for me for about six months. And unfortunately, on Mother's Day that just passed, he lost his life to gun violence. Um, and, and that was a lesson learned to show me that I really got to continue to do the work, right? Um, and, and doing the work is going to get these young guys off the streets so that we have more Christian whites being able to clock in and come to work. Mm. Um, so lessons learned all of the time. And I'm happy about those lessons learned in the long run because it helps me be better. And I get an opportunity to pour out of my cup 
and fill up everyone else's. And our condolences on the loss of Christian there. And, and I know you all have an event coming up where you're going to be offering uh, not only back-to-school supplies, but haircuts for boys and girls. This is going to be at the Slutty Vegans Edge, Edgewood location, correct? Now, you're not going to be out there giving fades, are you? Because I don't know if that's your expertise. <laughs> I know you can you, cook, you know, but I don't. can you give a fade? I don't know. Listen, you show me something one time, I'll give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we do have that um, coming up. It's actually on August 29th um, from noon to 4 at our Edgewood location. Um, and we have haircuts. Um, we have the beauty boutique coming mm-hmm. um, and we have hairstyles for girls and boys. So it's just not boys. Um, but but this is a free event. Come um, and get solidified and get some back to school <laughs> gear um, so you can go to school and be prepared and do all the things that you need to do. Uh, Kevin, uh, my engineer, is he he's vegan. He's like, when are you going to put something over here on Cheshire Bridge so we can just walk across the street and get a burger? Well, I can't make no guarantees for that. However, I'm working on my Gwinnett location right now, and I'm also working on Athens. So if you're willing to take the drive, I got you. (laughs) Pinky Cole, founder and creator of the Slutty Vegan brand and also Bar Vegan at Pond City Market, and now doing so much with the Pinky Cole Foundation. Again, congratulations on the birth of your little one. So much has happened for you in such a short period of time. I love asking this question. If we're going to make a movie, I guess you would play yourself because you, you know, you're still young enough in a sense, but you know, <laughs> or if you want somebody else to play you, who should it be? Ooh, um, to play me. Yeah, you play I'm you. a little one. Um, <laughs> Taraji P. Henson. Oh, everyone picks Taraji P. I want Taraji to play me in a movie, so. Yeah, okay. She can play everybody because we all love her. I would say Angela Bassett, but I'm not as fit as her right now. So let me get to the gym and then get back to me. <laughs> I heard that. Pinky Cole, thank you so much. Oh, a listener wants to know when is the West Side location going to be reopened? It's under renovation, correct? Yes, and we're actually almost done, and it's beautiful. So when you get a chance, just drive by it. It's amazing. But sooner than later. So. Fingers crossed. Pinky, thank you so much. Best of luck to you. Continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other program. As always, send us an email. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, you can find the entire program online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like because we should be there. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.